I just got off of two daddy-daughter dances back-to-back nights, so I'm kind of feeling that song right still going. But Hey, I want to start with just a little interaction. If you'll just uh, kind of go with me, lean into this for a second. I want to make a point, and then we'll get rolling into the content. Um, but I'm just going to, I'm going to ask you just to tap into your subconscious. I'm going to ask you to be verbal, okay? I just need, I need some reaction. I need you just to, I'm going to say a statement. It's going to try to be a kind of a provocative statement. And I just want you to respond to it, okay? Just whatever you feel like you need to say, okay? This is your chance to talk in church. Um, not just me monologue for 40 minutes, but you just blurt it out, okay? So let, let's try um, and see how, how this goes. Okay, so what I would say is the best kind of music in the world that's just heartwarming, so good, that's the only music you should be listening to is country music. Okay, right over here. Here's my folk. Okay, I saw he got out there. Yes, heard a little bit of no over here. Okay, this is the rap crowd, apparently. No, I'm kidding. All right, that was great. That was great. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, three more. Let's, let's do this. Okay. Um, the absolute best food, what everybody should go do for Valentine's Day. Um, if you have your last meal, this is what it needs to be. It needs to be sushi. I feel you. I feel you. Ooh, big no. Okay, all right, all right. Um, maybe a couple more, two more. Uh, I think, I think, I think, and you should think too, that the greatest hobby, the greatest um, activity that you should be spending a ton of your free time, you should even be skipping work to go do this, is golf. No, no, I saw a big head shake over there, okay? When I, I did this a couple weeks ago at Parker Square, my wife was here and she was like, boo. I was like, oh, I guess we need, we need to talk about something, okay? All right, last one. Uh, the greatest sports team in the history of the world that actually should be playing today is the Dallas Cowboys. Okay, okay, okay. All right. Well, here's what. Thank you for pretending. Y'all were awesome, by the way. Thank you so much. Um, here's what I do. That I find it amazing that oftentimes a singular stimulus can split the population. Right, I just say one statement, some message, some proclamation goes out, and we've got a broad range of opinions on that one thing. In our text today, this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. There's something that's going to go out, a stimulus, a proclamation, and just like we saw here, this will divide the population. There will be different responses and different reactions to what Jesus is saying here, and he's going to talk about that. Now, quick little context. What we're doing is we're in uh, parables. We're studying those. And last week I was here and I talked about the parable of the sower and the seed, but Jesus has got this mass following, all these people crowding him around for all these reasons because he's doing miracles and things like that, different expectations. So he kind of gets on the Sea of Galilee in a little boat. He backs up and he gives a parable. Not what anybody was thinking, right? But now why is Jesus giving a parable, right? It's, in a sense, it's a parabola. We talked about that's where you get a word. And so it's kind of a spiritual truth mirrored by commonplace reality. And why does Jesus do those? If you didn't hear the sermon last week, it's online, go listen to it. But in a sense, in essence, it's to make it harder, not easier. It's a sifting mechanism, a filter for who truly desires and hungers and wants to lean in and understand. Jesus quotes Isaiah 6, tells the disciples, this is why I'm using parables. Now what we're going to do today, what we're going to see, he's going to take that parable of the seller to seed, and he's going to explain it. Now, this is rare material, okay? Because there's only two parables in all of scripture that Jesus himself actually interprets and explains. So here's what Jesus says on what the parable of the sower and the seed actually means. Hear then the parable of the sower. 
When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown along the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself. He endures for a while, but when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understand it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundred, another sixty, and another thirty-fold. Now, when we're talking about parables, what we said last week was, we're not trying to get 17 different applications. We're not trying to match up every little detail like an allegory. It's all got to you know, correspond. The reason Jesus is telling parables is for one main crucial question. There's one thrust of the text, one theme that he is highlighting. Okay, so one main question. So when we get to this, oftentimes I'll see there's a lot of misinterpretation around this because they don't understand the one central question that Jesus is trying to get at. Now, why did Jesus tell this parable? It was not to talk about a strategy for missions and evangelism. That's not the central question, okay, in the mind of the crowd. Like, hey, Jesus, how are we supposed to, to go about getting the word out? He's like, what you do is you just scatter it out there willy-nilly. You don't even care who hears it. You just throw the word of the Lord all over the place, and it'll just fall where it falls. No, that's not the case at all. Actually, in other scripture references, we have Jesus saying, no, don't lay your pearls before swine. And other times he's telling his disciples, if you go to a town and they reject the word, leave and dust off your feet from that town. So this is not a parable addressing evangelism strategies and missiology. This is not a parable that's addressing eternal security. Sometimes people go right there, right? And so do you think everyone in the crowd, oh my goodness, I'm about to kick the body and the blood of Jesus off the stage. Okay. <laughs> this is not a parable about eternal security. Again, what is, is the central question everyone's asking in the crowd, can I lose my salvation? Is it once saved, always saved? And Jesus is like, ah, oh, I know, I'll tell him this parable, that'll really help. That's not in view here. Neither is this parable about divine hardening or double predestination, right? Like people are wondering like, I really want to get into the kingdom, but I just can't seem to do it, right? I'm sprouting, falling away, and da, da, da. And Jesus is like, oh yeah, they're really wondering like, do they even have a choice in the matter? And so I'm just going to tell them that they're all different soils and soil is passive and soil can't change itself. So good luck. Hope you're the good soil. Now, we can talk about evangelism strategies, eternal security, divine hardening, and double predestination all day long. Not from this passage. That's not what's in view. That's not the central question. That's not the main thrust of what Jesus is trying to get at. To try to derive some of that application from this parable, I think, I believe, is a wrong application. So what is Jesus trying to talk about? I think he's over the top clear on what he's trying to get across, okay? He says it over and over again. So here's what I've done for you. I've just kind of taken this whole passage, this whole pericope, and I've pulled out, select, and kind of crunched it together, and I think you'll be able to see. Like Jesus, I think he's kind of worried, like we're gonna try and squeeze too much juice out of this orange, so he's like, let me be abundantly clear what I'm talking about. So kind of just 
plucking and pulling it together. Here's what it is. Hearing, they do not hear. You will indeed hear, but never understand. And with their ears, they can barely hear. Blessed are your ears, for they hear. Many long to hear what you hear. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, he who has ears, let him hear. You still hear, hear, all right. Interaction's over. No, I'm just kidding. You still think it's a parable about sowing? No. Jesus is being abundantly clear. It's about hearing. The focus is not on the sower. The focus is not on the seed. The focus is on the receptivity of the soil. That is what is in view. Now, when we see this word, we read the word hear, we have to make sure we understand it in their context. For you and I, sometimes that could just be like intellectual assent, just like mental ability. Oh, like I listened or something like that. That's not all. When Jesus is using the word hear, he means like receive it and live it out. Like you can almost translate, well, actually the Hebrew, sometimes when they, the Hebrew word for hear also is translated obey. So, so when we're reading this and you see the word hear, you can appropriately put in obey. Obey the word of the Lord. Those who obey the word of the Lord, it's, it's receptivity of the soil, not just to like intellectual stimulation, but like I am practically applying this and living this out. This is the purpose of the passage. A proclamation. A singular stimuli goes out and there's different reactions and there's different responses. Now, what is it that goes out? Jesus said it's the seed. Now, this drives me bonkers, but what happens is typically when I see in scholarship, pastor, anybody else, they, they read this parable and they say, oh, the seed is the gospel. And they just stop right there. And like, just show me where that is in the text. Because it doesn't say that. Here's what it says in Matthew. Matthew calls the seed the word of the kingdom. Mark calls the seed the word. Luke calls the seed the word of God. Now, if you were to read this passage and go, it's only about the salvation gospel message. You have, I think, just stripped the power out of it. Right? Because now here's what you're doing. You're saying this, this is only a parable about unbelievers receiving one message and making one decision. And that's not it at all. I think that's just too narrow of a view. Now, it's saying here in the text, it's the word of the Lord, friends. For you and I, it's the complete canon of Scripture, the entire word of the Lord, the full word of the Lord. Not just one little decision in one little area. And what Jesus is saying is like, how are you going to respond when the weight of the word of the Lord bears itself on every aspect of your life, every day, and every decision you make? You see the weightiness between those two? Versus like, oh, just one-time decision for unbelievers and they will or will not respond. Versus like, no, the entire complete work of the Lord, every day, every decision, every aspect of my life, how will I be receptive to that? So that's, I think, what is in here. You're taking the canon of scripture and you're laying, say, what does this say about forgiveness? What does this say about my marriage? What does this say about money 
anger, prayer, evangelism, material possessions, free time, ambition, sexuality, politics, parenting, community, friendship, service, etc. Every aspect of your life, every decision you make every day, filtered through with the weight of the entire word of the Lord laid on it. And so for me, I, I, don't, I don't think you're just one soil. I think you can be many different soils depending on the aspect and the word of the Lord that's coming to bear itself on your life. And I don't think you're just like one soil forever. Like you, you get to choose how receptive you are going to be to certain aspects of the word of the Lord. So this is what's in view here. Now it has a, a bigger, richer, more full picture and addresses the crowd. Hey, what, what does it mean to be a part of this kingdom? What is this kingdom? It's the rule and the reign and the laws of God laid upon every aspect and area of your life. Now, Jesus says, that's the word that's going out. That's the seed. Now let's see how people respond. Four ways. Number one, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This, what was sown along the path. Now, again, that word hear, we said it's not just like, oh, I heard it, but like it means obey. Same thing with understand. Like understanding isn't just, again, intellectual assent. Like, oh, I have the, the mental ability to understand the word of the Lord. That's not what's in view. Understand here means like, no, I get it and I'm putting it into practice. It is that I'm understanding. I'm showing I'm understanding it by living it out. And so what he's saying here is someone who, who doesn't understand, someone who completely rejects that's what's in view here. First, first response to the word of the Lord on every aspect of every area of your life is immediate rejection. Just stiff arm, arms crossed. I don't want to hear it. I'm not even listening to it. So that's what he has in mind here. It's not inability to understand. It is unwillingness to receive. Now he calls this the, the hard path, the walkway. And so when you're in Israel, if you were out there, there's the, the kind of the rows that you would walk on. You take the seed and you scatter it that way. And some's just gonna, it's just gonna fall right there on the hard ground. It's impervious, right, to, to biblical truth. And it says the evil one comes and snatches it away. Now, it's not that you would have received it had the evil one snatched it away. That's not the order of operation. It's that you rejected it. You resisted it. You were unreceptive. And because of sin and stubbornness and rebellion, then the evil one came and snatched away. That's the order of operations Jesus is showing here. Now, why would people do this? Why, when different aspects of the word of the Lord laid on different aspects of our life, do people just kind of stiff arm? You know, cross arms, reject, completely resist, hard path. Why do they do that? We talked about it a little bit last week. When Jesus is saying in his own words, like you're going back and quoting Isaiah 6, he said, because the hardness of their heart, because of idolatry. And so even Isaiah 6, the quotation Jesus uses here, he goes, hey, they'll have eyes to see, but they're not going to be able to see. They'll have ears to hear, but they're not going to be able to hear. What has eyes but cannot see and ears that cannot hear? It's an idol. And, and, and Isaiah, maybe Jesus even referring back to them, is like, hey, you are becoming like what you worship. And eventually, you're going to have eyes that can't see and ears that can't hear because of your hard-hearted sinfulness, stubbornness, rebellion, and resistance. So in each one of these, what we see is some idolatry coming out. Now, for Isaiah, maybe it was little statues and figures and stuff like that in Jesus' day. Probably wasn't that. In our day, it's not that. Idolatry is simply this. It's disordered loves. It's good things, 
made ultimate. It's getting it out of whack, right? So it could be a good thing, but when it becomes like a God thing, then it's out. So what is the disordered love? What is out of order? What's the idolatry in this first response to the entire word of the Lord? It's this. It's saying, I love my thoughts more than God's thoughts. I want my ways more than God's ways. And so it's a complete stiff arm and rejection. One scholar writes this. The heart can be a hard pathway crossed by a mixed multitude of iniquities that continually traverse it. It's not fenced. So it lies exposed to all the evil stomping of every wicked thing that comes along. It's never plowed by conviction. It's never cultivated with any kind of self-searching, self-examination, contrition, or honest assessment of guilt or true repentance. The heart is hardened against the sweet beckoning of grace as much as it's hardened against the dreadful terrors of judgment. Indifference and sensibility and a love for sin have made this heart's person dense, dry, and impenetrable. Oftentimes I'll see this just uh, when I'm out in the community and kind of my line of work gets brought up, I will see a hard path, immediate rejection, resistance um, I just try to invite people to church, you know, Hey, like I'm actually the guy talking and you know, you come hear me, you gotta sit you right down the front row. And, um, a lot of times it's like the polite way is like, Oh, think about it. I'll see you on, you know, but some people just like they show uh, hard path, complete resistance. So a couple of weeks ago or a couple months ago, I'm playing golf and we get partnered up cause golf. Yeah. Right. Um, so, uh, get partnered up with this guy and eventually he comes out, you know what I do, where I'm at. It's like, Hey, I just want to invite you to church. Love for you to come and and worship with us. And he just goes, I don't know about that. He goes, I feel God's presence a lot more on the golf course and in the deer stand. <laughs> okay. That's not the purpose, just coming here to feel God. It's so much more than that. But he just showed right there an aspect of the word of the Lord that don't forsake gathering together and assembling in the body. He just says, mm. Complete resistance. Not even going to consider it. Don't even want to think about it. Don't even want your card. Don't even like tell me where it's, I mean, it's just like, nope, golf course in deer state. That's where I do my worship, right? So that's how we see it play out. What I want to do is just have you write down some phrases. I don't, don't process them now because it's just, you're not going to have good time with it. But in, in your quiet time this week, would you just honestly assess yourself with these questions? Here's what I think. If this is the entire complete canon, every word of the Lord laid upon every aspect of your life, I would assume, myself included, that there's a couple of places where we've just gone, mm -mm. no, I'm not even gonna consider it, God. So my question for you is, what have you just rejected? When God, some aspect of the word of the Lord on some aspect of your life and you just complete resistance, would you pray about that? Second reaction response to the singular stimuli of the proclamation of the word of the Lord is this. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And so when I was a child growing up and studying this passage, what I just thought in my little kid mind is like, oh, it's like dirt 
with a couple of rocks scattered out. And that's probably not good dirt, and that probably doesn't help grow. Well, that, that's actually not what's in view here. So in, in the Middle East there, in that area, if you were a, a plowing and a gardener or farmer, what you have to watch out for is a, is a shallow bedrock, okay? So there are some places where maybe like a limestone bedrock that's a foot deep. So as you're, as you're plowing through, you're, you're tilling up the ground, that's going to go six to eight inches deep. So you're like, oh, that's great. It's perfect. You know, it feels like it's going to go in. He's going to go in. But because it's so shallow, the roots just go down and hit that bedrock and it sprouts up quickly. But because of the arid climate, the heat of the sun, the lack of moisture there, what's happening is it can't stand and it's going to wither away. So when we're talking about rocky ground, that's what it is. It's shallow. Shallow soil, just a bedrock right underneath that can't really put down deep roots and, and receive nutrients and can't bear the heat of the land. One scholar would write this. Those who obedience is merely temporary, hear the gospel and respond quickly and superficially. People sometimes have selfish motives, thinking Jesus will fix their worldly problems or make life easier for them, but they don't count the cost. For a while, they bask in some emotion, a feeling of relief or exhilaration or euphoria or whatever. There's tears of joy. There's embraces. There's high fives and a lot of activity at first. But the problem is lack of roots. Their enthusiasm often is based on external stimulus, not inner conviction. So it will not last when the external is no longer there. If the first response is immediate rejection, this is eventual rejection. Over time, shallow. Now the words here, we have to understand what it's talking about. Tribulation, persecution. And so it's, it's words can be translated like, like pressed, but we have to get the right view in mind. And so he's not just saying like, hey, when life's hard for you, like if you get sick or you lose a job or you lose someone in your life, you fall. that's not what's in view. Jesus said it's tribulation, persecution, on account of the word. It's taking the message of the kingdom, the full word of the Lord, and you're trying to live that out in your life. And because you're trying to be like Christ, you experience some pressing, some persecution, some tribulation because of it. And that's why you wither and shrink and shrivel. It's what I did as a student pastor many, many years. We take kids to camp and they have a mission trip, a retreat, and they'd have this wonderful, incredible, amazing experience. And we're like, all right, let's go back and let's tell your friends that you're a Christian, evangelize your campus. And they're like, it was great out in the hill country, super fun on a mission trip, but go back to my soccer team? And yet, as adults, we'll often do the same thing. What's in view here is the person that says, I love God, but never tells others about him. I'm going to get canceled. It'll be awkward. What might it cost me? What will people say? What will people think? Right? What it is, it's a little bit of heat. And Jesus and the kingdom isn't worth the hassle anymore. We sprout up on Sundays and wither away by Wednesdays. Right? And so I'll just share, I've shared this story before, so I'll try to make it quick, but my greatest withering moment. Um, I was a pastor in Austin before I was here and uh, went out again, here, play golf. Okay. Well, I, I need to get some more hobbies or more stories, but um, out there playing golf, got partnered up with a guy. Always interesting who you get partnered up with. This guy was trying to set the course record 
for the most F-bombs used on a course. And um, I just literally, I think Guinness was out there like counting, you know, if he could do it. And he was trying, he was trying real hard. Like he used it in every form imaginable, right? So it's just, oh, it's so terrible. Um, we get to the 18th green. And uh, finally he turns to me after just four hours of like, I mean, I've heard more F-words than anybody needs to hear in their life. And he goes, so what the F do you do? <laughs> and in that moment... I lied. I withered. He turned up the heat, and Jesus wasn't worth the hassle. And, and I just, I, I actually took my, my wife's job, and I said, oh, I'm an economics teacher, just happen to have a Monday off, and I'm here. And, and I went later back, and I, I told my mom that story, and, and after I told my mom that, she starts just hitting me, like, you should have told him you're a pastor, you should, he needs to, you know. And she's right. She's right. And each and every one of us has opportunities like that, that, you know, 15 something years ago that I did every day where you just share, you're, you're trying to live out, you're trying to be Christ's followers, but we get in some situation where the heat turns up a little bit and sometimes we shrink and wither and Jesus just isn't worth the hassle. So this is the person gets excited about the word of the Lord. They get on board, they get jazzed up, they do the Buckner house, they give to it. They're in every Bible study, every retreat, go to every conference, but there's no fruit. I mean, you wanna know if this is you or not, just look behind you and see how many more and better followers of Christ you have made. That's the test, right? If our goal, our mission, it's not the church staff, but the church as a whole, it's love God with all you are, and making more and better followers of Christ. That's the fruit. That's the 30, 60, 100-fold yield. Look behind you and go, do I have a line of Christ followers that I'm pouring into making more and better? Or do I just kind of get out there and shrivel up and wither away, turn up the heat, and Jesus isn't worth the hassle? In your life, reflection for another time, just you being honest with God is asking yourself, what in my life has withered? Where am I shrinking back because of pressure. Maybe there's an aspect, an area. Third response, Jesus tells us, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, they choke the word and it proves unfruitful. So this is the thorny ground. Um, what, what's here in view is that there's, there's other things in the soil besides the seed. There's impurities in the soil as well. And they, they both sprout up together. And now there's a competition for, for what gets nourishment and what will ultimately thrive. So that's kind of what's in view here. Now, in this one, he tells us what the idol is. Okay, if you, if you want to go to idol, I skipped idol on the last one. The idolatry, the disordered loves on the last one is my great convenience over the great commission. That's what it is. Now, idolatry here, the disordered loves in the thorny ground, he gives them to us in the passage. He says it's two things. The first one is this. It's the cares of the world. I care more about the things of the world over the care of the kingdom. That's the disordered love. That's the idolatry that's playing out here, right? It's just that other things, there's competition. And I start turning my focus and other things get nourishment, right? It's for us, Kids, cars, careers, hobbies, home, margin, me time, friends, Facebook, whatever it is. 
Now, I've heard it said, I couldn't find this. There's no like empirical data on it, so I don't know. You just take it and dump it if you don't like it. But it, it feels anecdotally true for me. The saying was this, that your responsibility doubles every 14 years. Think about when you were 14, how much responsibility did you have? Then when you're 28, and 42, 56, and 70. And, and all that is, is just being honest, there's a lot over time that can choke out that we can get focused on. Good things, but sometimes out of order. Made a great thing, made an ultimate thing, right? So we get focused on that. That's why, that's why relationship fails. It, your relationship with other people, friends, spouses, even your relationship with God, right? You just lose intentionality, you lose focus, something else is competing, and it draws nourishment, attention, and focus. And this one on the other side just gets choked out. That's the first idolatry of the thorny soil. The second is this. He says the disordered love. He says the deceitfulness of riches. So the promise of riches over the promises of the word of God of the kingdom. Now, he's not dogging riches, okay? Nothing wrong with being rich. My, my biblical view on riches, stack it up as much as you can. Just don't let it have your heart. Like amass as much riches as you can and then leverage it for the gospel. Don't fall in love with it. Okay, so that, that's kind of the biblical view on riches, okay? But here he's saying it's the deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness. Now, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, when, when Eve is talking about how the serpent tricked her, and she's talking to God, she says, the serpent deceived me. Now, that word right there, used in the Septuagint, is the same word, Greek word, Jesus uses here to talk about the deceitfulness of riches. What was the serpent doing back in the garden? promising things that he couldn't really deliver. And it's the same concept that money and wealth and material things will promise you what they can't really deliver. But when we start putting our trust in those things above God, above the kingdom, that's what he's saying here. That's the disorder love. That's the deceitfulness of riches. Your question for reflection is simply this. Where has your obedience to the word of the Lord been choked? by the cares of the world, by the deceitfulness of riches. The best like test or thermometer I can give you for this is to ask yourself like, where did I used to find joy in the Lord that I don't find it anymore? Maybe it's been choked. Like I used to find joy in like coming to worship and hearing the word, or I used to find joy in spiritual disciplines, or like early one and quiet. I, I used to find joy in giving and tithing or volunteering in kids' ministry. And you know what? Just over time, just lost attention, lost focus. I got other things. My responsibilities gotten more. And that joy has just been choked out. It's a good gauge just for you to have a conversation with the Lord. Where has my joy been choked? Lastly, last response is this. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word, who understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yield, and in one case, a hundredfold, sixtyfold, and another thirty. This is the good soil test to know when the word of the Lord goes out in any aspect, any area of your life, have you truly heard, understood, practiced it, obeyed it, received it? And the test is it bearing fruit? Is it healthy? Is that aspect of your life beneficial to others? That's the test here. Now, where you see that, praise God. I mean, let's celebrate. Let's be thankful, right? Good job receiving it, hearing and obeying. 
But also, we can't take credit for it because it's not us that produces that. It's it's the word of the Lord sown into our life that produces that fruit. But we ought to be thankful that our heart was receptive. We chose receptivity in that moment. Now, where we don't see that, number one, have patience. Takes time for things to grow. Even Rome wasn't built in the day. But where you don't see that health and that beneficial for others in that aspect or area, it just invites some introspection. God, what, what might be choking this out? Why might I be resisting here? I believe there's so many aspects and areas of our life that you have yet to experience 160 and 30 fold of usefulness, of beneficialness to others. And so that's what he's saying here. In the text, we see there's a lack of receptivity prevents future progress. I'll close with this. My wife teaches at uh, Grapevine Faith Christian School. And current, she moved out of economics, and now she's teaching adulting uh, for seniors. So um, it's for 12th grade students. It's everything you need to know to be a successful adult that school doesn't often teach you. Okay? Kind of cool class. Um, students love it. Parents love it. So, like, for example, who teaches you how to buy a car? Like, you just going to figure that out, right? So um, she uses her, her network there. There's a guy who owns a car dealership. So the owner of the car dealership comes in and tells the seniors, here's how you buy a car. Great advice, okay? So she brings Ron in to talk about how Christians should vote. She brings me in to talk about dating, sex, and marriage. That's not ever awkward. Um, but one person she brings in is a, a kind of investment banker, a wealth manager, just to talk about to these seven-year-olds, what does investing look like? Like, what is, what is the power of compound interest? And the presenter did this wonderful job of just uh, giving an illustration that the students could, could receive well. And that is talking about the $400 Chick-fil-A sandwich. <laughs> and so, you know, Chick-fil-A sandwich, let's say they're after school, between classes or something like that, like, I'm gonna go get this Chick-fil-A sandwich, it's five, six, seven bucks. And he's like, that's great, eat that. But just realize, if you put that money in an account over a certain amount of time with a certain kind of, you know, return, it's $400 down the road. And, and so the presenter's just saying like, hey, every time you, you, you buy that venti Starbucks or you buy that Chick-fil-A sandwich, if it really cost $400, would you just impulse buy it and need it? And so this is great illustration for these young students to realize compound interest. I think that same principle applies here to what Jesus is saying. There's, when the word of the Lord goes out, every day, every aspect of your life, every decision, you may be like, oh, it's just a little obedience. Like, does it really matter? Yeah. That little bitty seed, that little obedience, that little receptivity over time results in an incredible spiritual compound interest of usefulness, of fruit, of being beneficial to others. And the converse, every little disobedience of your life every day, every decision, when you're you know, just kind of resisting the word of the Lord, it doesn't just cost you in that moment. It'll cost you. 100, 60, 30 fold later on down the line. And so Jesus' invitation today is, man, just to simply say, when the word of the Lord goes out, every aspect, every day, every decision, will you be receptive to hear, to understand, to live it out and obey? And if so, the usefulness, the benefit that can result is phenomenal. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you would share this parable, this parabola 
that alongside the spiritual truth of being receptive to the words of the kingdom, to the laws of heaven, to aligning our life with who you are, you laid aside this farming tale to show us how people will respond, how in our own lives, every day, every aspect, every decision, we get to make a choice about will we be receptive or not. So God, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would be convicted where we're resisting, where we're shallow, where we're withering, where we're being persecuted and just feel like you're not worth the hassle, where we're being choked out by, by good things, but that have just become disordered and made great things. God, we celebrate the good soil, the receptivity, the ways that you produce amazing fruit in our life. And we want our whole life and every decision every day to be receptive to the message of the kingdom. It's just a way we say thank you and that we love you and that we desire you, God. So work in us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to give you an opportunity to respond today, to be receptive to the word of the Lord that has gone out. For you, that may look like grabbing the connect card and the seat back pocket in front of you, filling it out online. For you, maybe it's using this moment to, to tithe. Maybe tithing is something that's, that's kind of been choked out or withered away. Like, is that something you want to say, man, God, I need to be more obedient in that. We'd invite you to give as an act of worship. For join a small group or make a decision for Christ, whatever it is. Just pray with your spouse. Whatever you need to do in this time, in this moment, use this as a way to respond.